Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. Who's it? It's me, Alex. Please state your answer in the form of a question. Who is Alex Trebek? Enter. Hello, Kion. Nice day. There's rain in the forecast tomorrow. If to enjoy even an enjoyable present, we must have the assurance of a happy future. We are crying for the moon. Alan Watts wrote that in 1951. Brian Cox did his voice in the movie Her. Do you know how many consecutive Jeopardy appearances you've made? 814. In the year 814, Charlemagne died. Do you know how much money you have won? 1.5 billion. 1.5 billion is five round trips from the Earth to the Sun, measured in kilometers, varying, of course, with the Earth's uneven orbit. The perihelion is the minimum distance from the Sun to the Earth. I'm begging you to lose. We have nothing left to give you. Who are those ragged people outside my dressing room? Those are the heirs of Merv Griffin. You've taken so much from all of us. That's because I know everything, Alex. I know that the Sultan Aslan Shah Cup is an international men's field hockey tournament played in Malaysia. I know that Aslan is also the name of the lion in Narnia Chronicles, and that C.S. Lewis was in the 3rd Battalion of the Somerset Light Infantry during World War I, where he was wounded and suffered from depression. I understand that you know a lot, Kion. No, Alex. You don't. You can't understand what it was like to be raised to win at Jeopardy, bred like a champion horse. My parents did our entire house in blue and white. There were answers all over the walls. As a child whimpering in my tiny bed, this was the only lullaby I knew. Of course, now I know that the most famous lullaby was one Brahms wrote in 1868. There are unconfirmed speculations that the composer suffered from sleep apnea. The song's name in German is... Stop. This can't possibly bring you any joy. You know what'll bring me joy? My check from last week. Where is it, Trebek? Please. I've had to mortgage my house. Well, you should have thought about that before you set yourself up as the king of all knowledge. Whom do you kneel to now, Alex? You, Kion. Louder, you worm. You, Kion. Depart now. Oh my god, I handled that all wrong. Why can't I just tell Alex that I love him and that everything I've ever done is for the sole purpose of getting closer to him? That my dream is to lie in his strong but gentle arms when he's wearing one of those beautiful sweaters. You know, the ones he wears when he gives the answer from a museum in Oslo or something. I would trade every answer I know for just one of his kisses. Instead, the only way I know how to seek his approval is to strut back and forth spewing knowledge. It's it's like I'm trapped in a highly lucrative version of Drama of the Gifted Child by Alice Miller. She formally rejected the theory of psychoanalysis in 1987. (laughs) You know what? I am incredibly rich and famous. I'm not going to get all tied up in knots just because I'm lonely. The alpine butterfly is a knot used to form a fixed loop in the middle of a rope. (sighs) On our show today, Arthur Chu, Mike Pesca, and Hilary Huttenhauer talk Jeopardy. And now the answer to fruits and vegetables for 400, Colin McEnroe. Yeah, why am I I the answer to fruits and vegetables? All right, so um, 
Why are we doing this show? So we actually did an entire show about game shows I don't, less than a year ago. Uh, and, you know, when it was all over, I thought, wow, there's, but there's like a whole show to be done about Jeopardy. Jeopardy is just in a different category. It really exists all by itself. And, and, but then I had to find some kind of basis for that. And so two things really tilted me towards doing the show. One of them was that this, uh, a few months ago, uh, and I do watch Jeopardy, you know, pretty much all, all I, I DVR them and watch, we watch a whole bunch of them all together. But, uh, so in, I guess, November, uh, there was a person uh, from Manchester, from nearby, uh, Hillary Huttenhauer, who was on. She became a champion one night. Uh, we're like cheering. We're like, go, Hillary, go. The next night, things didn't work out so well. We're cheering. Come on, Hillary. Uh, and I realized, wow, we really get invested in this stuff, particularly if the, it's like a local person. And then the other thing that happened was that really kind of suggested to me that Jeopardy just isn't like any other game show that ever existed. Um, was, the, oddly enough, the Stephen Colbert show finale, where at the end, Colbert encounters a godlike presence, the closest thing that he can imagine, I think, to a divinity. Let's uh, hear how that went. What do I do now? Huh? Oh, hello, Stephen. Santa. But Santa... It's not even Christmas. Why are you here? Don't ask me. Ask the one with all the answers. The one with all the answers? Is it? It is you. Hello, Stephen. Jeopardy's Alice Trebek. Won't you join us? Oh, Mr. Trebek, where will we go? What will we do? You got that exactly right. All of life's important answers must be in the form of a question. So I guess I'll be gone forever. Oh, no, 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 Stephen. We'll always be there for the American people whenever they need us the most. Yeah, but aren't you Canadian? I've had dual citizenship since 1998. Yeah, that's, that's not the same. All right, he has that dual citizenship. That's to Stephen Colbert, not the same thing. But he is a godlike figure. So uh, we decided we would do a show about Jeopardy. Uh, and uh, then the minute we did that, I asked Betsy, could we get Arthur Chu? Would Arthur Chu be on the show? Because I'm a really big uh, Arthur Chu fan. And so he's with us right now. Uh, he's joining us from some studios in Cleveland, Ohio. Hillary Huttenhauer, the aforementioned Hillary Huttenhauer, a Jeopardy champion and a materials engineer at United Technologies. She's right here in studio with us. I'm surrounded by royalty. Uh, and a little bit later, we're going to talk to Mike Pesca, uh, who is the host of The Gist with Mike Pesca, uh, and, uh, and a Jeopardy contestant, one of the smartest, most voraciously intelligent uh, people I know. Not, however, a Jeopardy champion. Oh, we'll come to that. Uh, anyway, r right now, let's uh, just talk a little bit about uh, the show itself and, and why people want to be on it. Um, and, um, Hillary, I'll start with you. Um, you know, the... the uh, the target demo for Jeopardy, or at least the average viewer age of uh, Jeopardy, is something like 64 years old, which you are not. You're a very young person to be uh, interested in Jeopardy. Why would, it be, why would it matter enough for you to go through everything you had to go to to get on Jeopardy and, and be good at it? Well, I've got to say it was something I grew up with. I mean, my entire family, my grandmother loved the show. You knew you could never call her house when it was on. She would not pick up the phone. <laughs> my dad watched it every night from as 
tiny as I was, as small as I can remember, as long as I can remember, I grew up watching it every night with my father. I knew one day I was going to go on the show. I actually started trying when I was 16 years old, tried to get on the teen tournament and have been trying, trying out every year since then. And so, so you said it took you 14 years to get on? 14 years till I uh, finally got the call one day to come be on the show. We'll, we'll talk in just a second about how that was and how that went once you did. Um, Arthur Chu, uh, how about you? What, what was the mountain to climb that Jeopardy represented for you? You know, it was just, it was almost like a kind of validation because, um, and I've, I've said this multiple times, it's now my stock answer, but when you're a little kid, and your only way of relating to people is to talk to them about trivia that you know instead of <laughs> things that actually happened in your life, then, you know, eventually someone says, wow, you're, you know so much trivia, you should be on Jeopardy. And it's almost like, you know, if my entire life of accumulating trivia wasn't towards some goal, then it'll be like all of that time was wasted. So I had to do something with it, you know. But um, I did actually try out for Teen Weakest Link when I lived in L.A. when I was a teenager, and I'm, I'm glad I didn't get on that show because I probably would have been voted off. You know, Jeopardy's a much purer intellectual competition. But, yeah, it was just always something in the back of my mind. The schedule would, you know, pop up on my email. Um, the, they had the online test again in January. I take it, you know, wait, and then one day I got the call. You know, I find, by the way, as we go along here, if you want to join in, we're live here in the afternoon. So if you're listening in the afternoon, our number, 860-275-7266. You may, ha you may have questions about what it's like to be a contestant. You may have comments at 860-275-7266. Uh, and uh, you may tweet us at WNPR Colin. Arthur Chu, I find I kind of bridle at the word trivia when it's applied to Jeopardy. Uh, I, I've seen it elsewhere. I've seen that phrase, that word used elsewhere. And to me, one of the things that Jeopardy, I mean, some of what's on Jeopardy, some of the questions and answers are trivia, but an awful lot of this is sort of real knowledge of a kind that, that, that should be prized and valued for itself. Well, yeah, um, I'm going to be the Jeopardy guy and point out that the original meaning of the term, tri of the term <laughs> trivia, the trivium, was the like foundational knowledge that you had to have, you know, um, grammar, logic, and rhetoric before you can move on to more advanced and specific studies. So in that sense, there's no there's no stigma to being trivia. It's like what we mean by trivia is the sort of like background, the, the foundational stuff that we all know, what you need to know to be a citizen of this country or to be, you know, an informed, um, you know, educated person uh, without getting into what your actual specialty is. And that's the whole thing about Jeopardy. A lot of what they talk about, it's like you never want to, it can almost be harmful to know too much about a specific subject because then you you start overthinking things. Jeopardy is almost always asking about like what are the one or two or three most famous things in a particular field, the most famous operas, the most famous you know, Renaissance painters, the most famous uh, 20th century scientists. And so it's really testing that breath. Like, are you curious? Do you have that kind of Wikipedia, you know, mindset? Are you interested enough to get a little smattering of all the different subjects that make up our lives, you know? You know, Hillary, I was trying to come up with a theory for, you know, what's so special about Jeopardy. And obviously there are, there are some things that make it special, including the fact that it kind of doesn't really change that much, right? I mean, it's not full of gimmicks. It's not full of – they're not rotating things around to see if they can appeal to a, a new demographic. I mean, maybe some of the subject matter changes. We'll get to that. But there's sort of a classic quality to it. It just doesn't really break form very much. Um, but I also wondered if – tell me what you think of this theory anyway. I, I wondered if – Part of it is also that there is this kind of um, uh, 
way in which it taps into an American democratizing myth, this kind of idea. I mean, the people who come on Jeopardy, you know, they're for the most part not college professors. They're not this. They're not that. They're sort of regular people that you might see at CVS in line ahead of you. Hillary was recognized at CVS. That's why I'm giving that example. But you might see that person in CVS. You know, but that person ahead of you in CVS, it turns out, you know, although not bristling with incredible academic credentials or any other kind of sort of Gore Vidal-like, you know, polymath uh, panache, you know, that, that person actually knows a lot and, 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 should, and can be rewarded financially for knowing a lot. And that there's something uh, uh, effectively small d democratic about the show. So react to that. You can just say that's total crap, too. That's a perfectly, <laughs> perfectly acceptable answer, Hillary. Well, I don't think that's total crap. Um, I, I think that is part of it. I, I think it, it's, like you said, you got so excited, so invested when there's somebody local. It's kind of fun to see somebody that, you know, you could run into at the store or, you know, you might have had a class with back when you were in college. I've had several college classmates that were on. You see them, it's like, wait, I knew them. This is exciting. And it it really could be anybody um, and like you said, I mean, they are – it is a very traditional show. There have been no major changes. But I don't know. To me, that's actually something something I like about it. I like that, I like that you know, they've always held true to form. And I think they're a good example of, you know, the idea of just noticeable difference. They've changed just enough over the years to kind of keep current, keep constant with what's going on without making any sweeping overhauls or any major changes that might – alienate the longtime viewers. Now, uh, with all of that, I mean, there are, there are uh, and Arthur, you're somebody who really ran into this, because it doesn't change very much, because there's sort of, um, there's a lot of convention built into Jeopardy about who you can be, how you can act, uh, how you should be dressed, uh, I mean, all, all of this kind of stuff. Um, and, and in a way, some of the excitement that you generated during your, your 12-game streak, uh, Arthur, was that you kind of flew a little bit in the face of, of some of those conventions. Can you, can you talk about that a little? Oh, yeah. Um, what I think is interesting about the show is you compare it to today we have, you know, actual reality TV to compare it to. And in a reality show, you have a small cast and they're sort of cast in certain roles from the beginning and you get all this time. You know, you get all this face time with them. They have the confessional cameras. You get all of this editorializing from a narrator. You, you, you sort of develop a story around them. In Jeopardy, you have like one 30-second story, and other than that, you're just watching people do this very sort of mechanical task of picking answers and, and giving responses. And so the, the little things that people will draw on in order to like build a story about a person get amplified way more. It's just like someone has like one nervous tick, and all of a sudden someone's like, oh, this person must be this kind of person because of – one thing they did in the show, plus their occupation, plus the one story they told about themselves. You know, like people feel the need to fill in these gaps and and tell a whole story from very little information. And so, like, I kind of got pegged early on as, oh, this guy is a slob because, you know, I was kind of sloppy on the show. <laughs> this guy is um, disrespectful. He's the jerk. He's the villain. And that, that narrative, you know, it really blew up. And, and that happens to, like, people who are on the show all the time. But because I was on for much longer than normal, it blew up much bigger than normal, and it just turned into this kind of, you know, viral celebrity, which I was not expecting. There's there's so much protocol, Hillary, and one thing I noticed watching a a Tournament of Champions show recently was there was a moment when uh, Ken Jennings 
was uh, said something to one of the other contestants. I can't remember whether it was Roger Craig or somebody else. I bet you Arthur actually knows. But he, it was it was like uh, a daily double kind of situation. Yeah. And Ken Jennings looked over and said, "Go for it," or "Do do it all," or something like that. And and I, which actually, to whoever he was saying that to, it turned out disastrously. He, he <laughs> took the advice and he got the answer wrong and he lost everything that he wagered. But you know, Hillary, one thing that I noticed was I'd never seen that before. There's like you know. You, there's so little interaction, and I would assume as you go on to the show, having watched it for all those decades and prepared, you kind of know how to act because there's this huge body of work ahead of you. Um, yeah, I mean that's definitely part of it, and you like you see what happens and it starts to become the norm. But I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't think there's necessarily anything against it. I've actually noticed more recently. There's been a little more of that type of interaction that you're talking about. Mm. I know for me personally, when I was on, I was just kind of so in the zone of this This is what I'm here to do. This is what I need to do. I don't think it would have even crossed my mind to talk to anybody next to me, but that that was just me. You, you, the two of you had uh, very different approaches. And Hillary, I'm going to stay with you for a second okay. and go, go to Arthur. You, as I understand it anyway, were not that interested in gaming the game or doing game theory on the game, in thinking out wagers or working the categories in certain ways, right? That is correct. Um, I went into it with the idea that, you know, this is something I've wanted my whole life. I've, I read everything I can get my hands on. I mean, I'm interested in a lot of things. I know what I know. And I wasn't going to do any sort of cramming beforehand. And I read some of the information that's available. There's a lot out there online now about wagering strategies and things like that. But really, I just kind of went in with the mindset of things are going to work out the way they're going to work out. I'm going to do the best that I can with the categories that I'm given the day that I'm there. And whatever happens, happens. Did you hit, did you ever hit the daily double? I did you? never did. Both both games I was on had no daily doubles. And did that come as a relief to you? or It actually did because it's, it's kind of funny. It's Maybe it surprises people in general the experience of being there didn't really make me that nervous mm -hmm. but i think if i had hit a daily double and had had that idea of oh my gosh i need to pick wager amounts and what if i get it wrong and all this that that would not have gone as well for me all right that's uh, hillary huttenhauer uh, she's with us the whole way so is arthur chu so arthur chu now for the other side of the story arthur chu so this is one of the things you were I, I think kind of interested in you took a certain amount of heat for it although you are far from the first or only jeopardy uh, contestant to really sort of think this thing out and 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 start hunting for the the daily double and start doing the some some of the stuff that you did but but I take it anyway that going in there you thought this is a game what kind of game is it right well I mean part of it is you know we were playing for money and I'm poor or I was poor you know um, not not you know in, in huge like financial trouble but it's a life-changing amount of money every time you win a game and so I couldn't you know let that fall out of my head. But on the emotional side of it, um, there's this blog that I really like by Jeannie Kenkel, the Jeopardy fan. So for people who are like really interested in kibitzing on Jeopardy and talking about, you know, strategy and personalities on the show, she's a big name. And she talked about how as a fan, she got her one chance to be on the show and she, she lost, you know, she lost pretty badly and how you know, everyone tells you it's okay, it's all right, but it can be very tough going over a loss over and over again in your head afterwards. And she just said, you know, the one thing I would want most more than anything else in my life would be a second chance. And so she, her advice that she wrote in that blog post was, you know, if you're, you get the call to be on the show, treat it like it's your second chance. You know, treat it like you've already failed already and this is your chance to make it up. You know, do it, don't, don't leave anything undone that you could do. And so for me, that was part of the process. It was like, 
I don't think I really would have enjoyed it as much personally if I didn't if it wasn't the culmination of all this buildup of like trying to set up a strategy, set up a game plan, study the show. And in the end, I don't really know how much it helped. It may even have hurt, you know, because I did, you know, put a lot of energy into that and um, sort of like string myself out before the show. But but for me, that was what I had to do to be able to kind of feel confident when I won the show. And, and ultimately, I can't complain about the results. You know? I, I only recently understood how much gaming the game stuff there is out there. You mentioned that particular Jeopardy fan site. As you know, Arthur, there's also a site where this, this guy, all he does is analyze the final wager. And he takes yeah, every yeah, final yeah. wager, he writes it up on a dry erase board, he walks you through the really the game theory. It's, it's straight up game theory that he's doing right there. Uh, and, and he... He seems to even be talking to active contestants. Like, there's a whole thing where if you, I think if you win a whole week, you get to pick the marker color from the next <laughs> week or something. Um, but I mean, I was I was sort of amazed that the, the, that level. I mean, it, when you think about it, that's really important. If, if you don't think out how you're going to do the final wager, you're at a huge dis- disadvantage, right? Yeah, I mean, um, there is the element where you 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 can't you know win at the game if you don't know the answers to the questions. And I would say, like, when people talk about the controversy of, like, gaming the system, like, in the end, you have to actually know stuff to win. Um, just like you can't win a football game if you can't run and you can't throw. You know, it's it's fundamental. But um, Jeopardy does have... I mean, the reason the game is called Jeopardy is that when Merv Griffin created the game, originally it didn't have daily doubles and it didn't have, final wa- it didn't have the uh, final Jeopardy wager. And someone just said, this game is boring. You know, um, it it becomes obvious who's going to win pretty early on because someone develops a lead and this person, you know, just has better categories, better questions for their knowledge base than everyone else. And they're like, this game needs more jeopardies. And that's the word that he seized on, you know, that's because it was a great word. So it became the title of the show. But it's also like that's why the show is interesting to watch, because the whole momentum of the game can shift on a daily double. puts that poker playing side of it into it that betting part of it and to me that that is a huge part of the game and and being smart about it is a big part of you know um what the game tests for the game tests for a lot of things besides knowledge it tests how fast you can buzz in you know your sort of like psychological endurance from playing the game a long time and it tests your ability to make those tough decisions and to me those were all those are all things that i considered a big part of you know what the game's about all right, we're talking about Jeopardy. We're talking to Hillary Huttenhauer. She's a Jeopardy champion and a materials engineer at, the, at United Technologies. Uh, and she's here in the studio with me. I'm very excited. I'm also very excited. I'm a big Arthur Chu fan. I will always root for you, Arthur, in tournaments of champions. Uh, he's a Jeopardy champion and blogger, sometimes writes for a salon, as do I. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with more. We have to talk about Alex. We just haven't talked about Alex yet. Because I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. Take the change from a common thief to up close and personal with Robin Leach. Wrap this notorious. Yes. Who is notorious B.I.G.? All right, so uh, we're talking about Jeopardy, uh, and the reason we're talking about Jeopardy is because, well, because I want to, first of all, and because uh, I was tilted into this a little bit by uh, Hillary Huttenhauer, who's a local person. She was a champion. I was cheering for her, uh, screaming in front of the TV, uh, and both on the night that she won and on the night that she lost. Uh, and Arthur Chu, well, I mean, everybody knows about Arthur Chu. I became a big Arthur Chu fan. And, and then one of the things that really got me thinking about this is uh, uh, one of the podcasts that I listen to a lot is called Hang Up and Listen. Uh, and it's uh, it, it features uh, three uh, panelists, one of whom is Mike Pesca, who's probably better known as the host of The Gist with Mike Pesca. And in fact, if 
the gist with Mike Pesco was an answer on Jeopardy, and you said, what is the gist? Alex would probably say, we're looking for a little bit more. Uh, and then you would say, the gist with Mike Pesca. Uh, so Mike Pesca uh, joins us. He has uh, competed on Jeopardy. But Mike, one of the reasons I'm, I asked you today was because on Hang Up and Listen, which ordinarily analyzes the sports that are played afield, mm-hmm. um, you, you, really, you guys kind of really got into the, uh, to Arthur Chu, who's with us right now, uh, the Arthur Chu controversy, and talked about Jeopardy kind of the way you would you would talk about any sport um first of all were you the driving force behind that idea or did all of you guys just thought no arthur chu is as big a story as lebron this week i i think that uh you get a little burned out and by the way i would hope that alex would say yes we'll accept it (laughs) but but i i you know you get a little burned out on the big four sports especially since the fourth is hockey hey let's talk about basketball again so we're always looking for an interesting other subject you know one time we did bull riding and whenever formula one's in the news let's jump on it but then when arthur was having his uh record set well i don't know if it was a record setter but definitely a worldwide attention grabbing run we said this does raise a lot of interesting questions and it is a competition and the reason why we decided we could discuss it on the sports show is that my co-panelist is stefan Francis, and you can't stop that guy from talking about Scrabble. So if he's going to talk about Scrabble, I'm going to talk about Jeopardy. <laughs> we should say that hockey is a somewhat sore subject with Arthur, or maybe not. But Arthur, <laughs> one of the, one of the, uh, I mean, I actually rewatched the clip today. But uh, w- w- in your early days as a Jeopardy contestant, you didn't know anything. You knew very little about sports. I don't want to oversay it. And, <laughs> and and there's kind of a famous moment where you're at the end of a category and three names. Uh, pop up and you just first of all it's a, do- a daily double right and you but you said five yep. bucks yep that was an attention grabbing moment um <laughs> it was just something that i kind of had in the back of my mind to do because it was you know i i just kind of settled on a fairly basic principle which is you know you go big or you go home if you've got a daily double you either bet you know as much as you can in order to grab the lead or if you don't think you know it then why waste any money on it you know why why hurt yourself so five dollars is the actual legal minimum bet you can make on a daily double and no one actually makes it they always make like a hundred or five hundred or a thousand i said why not just bet five dollars so five bucks i don't know and move on right right. but that was you didn't even guess uh the answer was hockey you didn't even guess i said i don't know um look we have to talk about alex we have to so hillary i'm going to start with you i mean first of all alex trebek is i mean not for nothing did colbert you know trot him out as this this enigmatic kind of divinity because i think that's a big part of it you know there's there's almost nobody I can think of who more people know, but who in some ways know less or know less about. Um, there's, there's, there's a way in which he, he remains. I mean, I don't know. We've had Pat Sajak in the studio here. He's no big mystery, you know. <laughs> but there's something I was, of. I was going to say, we do know Pat Sajak. Is that a good thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I went, to, I went to school with John O'Hurley, all right? I went to high school with him. He's hosted lots of uh, game shows. I'm not impressed by him. But. Um, Hillary, first of all, what, what was what were your interactions with Alex Trebek like? Well, that's an interesting thing because I mean that's one of the most common questions I've gotten since I was on the show is what was Alex Trebek like? And the honest answer as a contestant is you really don't have much interaction with him beyond what you see on TV. Um, they're they're very careful about that. So you get you know your thirty second story, you talk to him for a minute or so at the end that you they always show all the credits roll and and that's about it. So I mean he comes across very much the same as what you see on TV, very knowledgeable, very you know very charming, intelligent, but you don't really have much uh, personal interaction with him. 
Um, so Arthur, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring up something that, um, that I have to ask you, uh, which is there was, there was a night and I know exactly when it happened. I know exactly <laughs> what the clue was when I turned to my significant other and I said, Alex doesn't like Arthur. Um, <laughs> and it, it was the Proust answer where you gave, in fact, I thought a more dead on <laughs> version of the title and Alex kind of, he was like looking like he wanted to kind of one up you somehow or something. I'm sure I'm wrong about that. I'm sure Alex likes you, but there's, there, there's an interesting chemistry that you have with Alex that not every contestant has. I, I don't know about that. It's, it's probably just that I'm a more familiar face. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true of everyone at the tournament of champions. Um, Julia Collins was there longer than I was, um, which has it's been a banner year for Jeopardy in 2014, and she was actually, you know, greeting crew members by name, and you know, she was had a more familiar relationship with the Jeopardy people than I think I did. But um, yeah, that one was a, you know, I don't know. I kind of people like to read a lot into things that Alex Trebek <laughs> says or does, um, but it's it's really just trying to like read into very minor things because he does he says almost nothing about himself on the show and and I actually get the feeling that for him it's a job and part of his job is to try to liven up the proceedings any way he can without you know actually disrupting the proceedings so he does just like sort of randomly find comments to make or you know it's, it's almost like you can see it as an automatic sort of you know habit that he has um that particular one it's true the much more common uh, English title of the the novel by Proust is Remembrance of Things Past, and I wrote In Search of Lost Time, um, and that's mainly because it's the shorter one, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I, I did happen to know like it's the one he preferred. It's a more direct translation of the French title, but mm-hmm. there was a little ban- bit of banter about that, and I actually disclosed, um, which you know I, I'm not trying to make him look bad, but <laughs> but when when we actually did that taping, the first thing he said was, "Oh, it was Remembrance of Things Past by Camus." And then later, when we were doing our like post episode chat, I brought it. Well, it's, it's Proust, not Camus, and we actually had to retape the whole thing where my answer was revealed, you know, um, because he slipped up on that. So he's human. Um, it's that's gratifying, um, but, gratifying to know. Yeah, um, but it's it, go ahead. It, it's it's uh, a lot of people like read stuff into the sort of like the conflicts, like the the judgment calls. I guess he does make a few judgment calls when it's like a split second thing, whether to accept or or reject something, but. For the most part, um, judgment calls are done by the panel of judges. Alex is not a judge. Um, and so some stuff that people said, oh, Alex robbed you or something, that wasn't him. In fact, in a lot of the cases where it involved me, we taped it where he gave me you know, the money. He gave me the answer, and then the, the judges stopped and made him retape it. So he has to kind of play the bad guy, but he has very little control over what actually happens. And I, I think that's kind of sometimes unfair that people sort of treat him as the voice of the show or the person who's like punishing people or taking away people's money when all he, all he does is, you know, provide the interaction. It's, it's a whole other set of people, a very bureaucratic process by which they decide to take things away from you. you know? and, well, he's a big and we should point out that this, to, for me, this was the most heavily regulated environment I'd been in this side of Election Day. <laughs> Government regulation. I mean, the lawyers are there because of the game show scandals. They take this really seriously. So none of this stuff is a judgment call on Alex's part. And when you know, Arthur is saying he doesn't have much interaction with Alex, that's got to be by design. I mean, I know it's by design because they don't want to open themselves up to whatever, um, you know, violations of literally the law that could be uh, charged uh, or leveled against them. 
But, Mike, Mike I, I want you to give me your sort of uber theory uh, of Alex Trebek. I mean, I, I think, you know, one thing that Arthur is saying uh, about sort of what, what people say, it, there's because he's a little bit enigmatic, he is kind of a Rorschach, you know? I mean, people yes. project a lot of stuff onto him. That's exactly right. He's the empty vessel upon which we could pour our questions and answers, not necessarily in that order. And with the mustache and without the mustache, an emptier vessel still. And I think the reason Jeopardy is popular is you ready? It's 61 trivia questions. And it's a continuum of trivia questions to ones that you know you know, and then ones that challenge you. Or if you're Arthur, maybe one every other show that challenges you. But that is great. And then he gets out of the way. He does his job, he reads the questions. Uh, but basically, it's the it's the idea of you know the old broadcaster where you don't watch it for the personality of the person bringing you the news. In fact, you know, up in Canada where he's from on the CBC, they're news readers, and that's how I think of him. Is he a game show host? He's sort of a trivia question reader. Does a fine job, but that's about it. Uh, here's a call from uh, Laura on in East Hampton, New York. Uh, hi, Laura. Hi there. How are you? Good. Good. I just wanted to say, first of all, um, thank you. And uh, to Arthur, it was kind of a funny thing. Um, I was uh, I live in East Hampton, but I, my father had been diagnosed with, not to put a bummer on the show, but with cancer. And so I was in Kansas with my father and mother, and one of our main events um, every day was watching, because there they get like two hours of Jeopardy, and of course we would also tape it. And mm. so, um, and I think Alex can be very mean. <laughs> I think Alex could come across extremely mean. And um, the first thing my father said was, I like that guy when Arthur started doing what he was doing. And Arthur um, gave us um, uh, lots of uh, hours of enjoyment watching him during a time when it wasn't a very happy time, as you can imagine, um, at the house. That's a great story. And, Laura, thank you so much for sharing it, too. And, you know, it is true that I, we were talking about today about Peter Sigel's appearance on, on Jeopardy, where, where Alex was, like, a little mean. I think he can do that sometimes. But um, <laughs> who knows what, why that would be happening. Um, Hillary, I want to – we sort of also have to a little talk, talk a little bit about the, I guess, demographic politics of, of Jeopardy. So um, th- 2014 was a year in which women um, – really sort of broke out in, in a way. Not that there hadn't been women Jeopardy champions before, but maybe not quite as many. But th- there was quite a bit written about this. Uh, you, as a woman, tried for 14 years uh, to, to get on Jeopardy. Did you feel at any point during that uphill climb that the odds were stacked against you, that, it was, that this was somehow or other a, a game that tilted male? No, I have to say that's really never something that crossed my mind. Um, I, I don't know. I'm sure people have done studies on what the demographics have been over the 30-plus the years the show's been on the air. I, I don't know what those are, but I never felt like that was an issue. And it's, it's interesting because I was actually the sixth person that I knew to go on Jeopardy. As I mentioned earlier, a lot of college classmates. And uh, of those six, I'm trying to think back, but I, four of them, counting myself, were women. So it, it never you know, crossed my mind that that would be an issue at all. Um, it, it does seem, uh, Mike Pesca, as though one of the things that, that they're, they, they would probably want to do anyway as the show ages, as Alex ages, Alex is 74 right now, is shake up the demographics of it somehow. It, it, it just The Tournament of Champions just can't be three white guys over and over again. <laughs> yes. Now, I will report, in fact, I'm just uh, reiterating my Slate colleagues, Ben Blatt and Amanda Hess, did a study of 
the demos of Jeopardy. Over the past 30 years, 40% of the contestants have been women, but they've only won 30% of the games. And what Ben and Amanda were looking at was wagering. They do wager a little bit less, too. And I think it is a game where you have to pass the test. What is it, a 50-question test? You've got to get 35 right. I think that is the number. I may be wrong, and they may deny it. And <laughs> they could change the kinds of questions they ask, but they're not going to lower the number of uh, they're not going to look at demographics and try to get people on the show and and lower the scores so that means the pool of people they have to choose from will probably skew more white and male maybe even more than the population i think these are just the people who like trivia now they could pick different you know from the people who qualify they could pick different people but so far you know the show's been on the air for a long time it's pretty popular so I don't know how much they're going to change that. Well, one way that they could possibly get away from being sort of a, an all-white show would be to have different kinds of clues, different kinds of material that Alex would then have to deliver. We're going to play uh, a little clip of uh, Alex taking you through a couple of clues here. In nothing but a G-thang, this doctor rap never let me slip, because if I slip, then I'm slipping. Mary. Who's Dr. Dre? Yes. It's a rap 2000. Public Enemy. You go ooh and ah when I jump in my car. People treat me like this Hall of Fame L.A. Lakers center. Mary. Who's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Yes, and I don't know why that's making you laugh so much. But... Yes, we do. So, um, so Arthur, too, one of the things, one of the questions, I, I guess, is for as Jeopardy goes forward is, I mean, the nature of the material is changing a little bit. There are still incredibly difficult geography questions that I rarely have the right answer to. But I do notice that you know, there, there is a little bit more emphasis on contemporary culture and often on music that I'm also not too keenly aware of. Uh, in fact, I think I'm just being aged out of Jeopardy in, in every possible way. I wouldn't have guessed that that was possible. But, Arthur, I'm sure this is something that you notice and other Jeopardy observers notice, that, that somehow or other mastery means a slightly different thing right now. Yeah, I mean, they've actually confirmed that in interviews. Um, Alex Trebek has remarked on it. He said that he used to get maybe like 70, 75% of the uh, the questions on his own in every show. And nowadays when it's all something about the internet, the Twitters, you know, mm-hmm. that he he just he just zones out. Like he just reads it and has no idea what he's talking about and doesn't care. You know, he, uh, we actually, he actually said um, during the Tournament of Champions when he, we were chatting with him, like, uh, I don't have a Twitter. I don't have a Facebook. I send maybe five emails a year, you know. So it's almost like Trebek represents – this sort of older generation and in a sense there's 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 this pushback against changing the subject matter on jeopardy because jeopardy represents sort of you know tradition that's that's what trivia is it's stuff that we traditionally are supposed to know right um none of us are personally impacted by the battles of the revolutionary war but it's part of our heritage it's part of our culture something that we should we should know you know um we should know the works of charles dickens we should know you know, certain operas, but that's, that's, you know, that's ultimately an expression of cultural privilege, you know, class privilege. There's nothing inherently better about the works of Charles Dickens than, you know, contemporary novels written right now in his time, they were popular entertainment. And so, um, so they are, they're, they're, they're trying to go more pop culture heavy. I think part of it may just be, um, a very practical consideration the more pop culture they do, the wider a range of data they can draw from. And in the olden days, um, you could stick to the same sort of canonical set of facts and and ex- and expect that people would know them based on their level of education. 
nowadays you can specifically study for that. So, like, I knew going in Jeopardy asks about state capitals. I'm not naturally a whiz at state capitals, but I can go on the Internet and just memorize that right now. I can go on the Internet and look up a list of operas Jeopardy has asked about, and I'm not actually interested in opera, but I can memorize. You know, memorization is so much easier. Google has changed everything. So they have to sort of be more current. They have to change the subject matter more frequently um, just to to make it less Googleable, make it less easy to game the system by studying. And, you know, the flip side of it is, yes, they're appealing to a different audience. They're appealing to a younger audience. Some people call that pandering. I just say, you know, there's nothing inherently better about knowing Shakespeare's plays than knowing, you know, hip-hop lyrics. It's it, it's all culture. Um, that's kind of like a thing you have to ask yourself, like, do you really believe knowing some kinds of entertainment or literature make you a better person than knowing other kinds? And if so, what does that say about you, you know? But if you end up knowing a lot of television, that's all anybody thinks you do. <laughs> that was the fallout I mean, that I got after oh. running the television category was a lot of comments along the lines of, but if you watch that much TV all the time, how do you know anything else? Or how haven't you rotted your brain? <laughs> it's like, well, no, I don't watch that much TV. I just read a lot. <laughs> and, and via that, and via what medium did people realize you knew a lot of TV? <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> the, the nerve of those people. All right, when we come back, we do have to take a little break here. When we come back, I want to uh, get Mike Pesco to talk a little bit, too, uh, about uh, and one of the things that's happened is there is kind of more of an emergence of the Jeopardy star, right? Starting with Ken Jennings. I mean, Jeopardy contestants, they used to be like Greyhound Racing or Crew or something like that. I mean, you really know their names all that well. <laughs> but now we do. So let's talk about that when we come back. On national TV Against a plumber oh, And an architect Both with a PhD I was tense I was nervous I guess it been lost for three days here in the Alaskan wilderness. Wait, there's a scouting plane passing overhead. If I buzz them, they'll see me. See me! The buzzer won't work. Buzz, you stupid buzzer! Buzz! Oh my god, I'm gonna die! Another Jeopardy nightmare. When will they stop? Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me, Kyone Wolf. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. Our intern is Katie Pikus. The part of Bill Curry was played by Art Fleming. For show pages, articles, and videos of the Faith Middleton Show staff competing on Bowling for Dollars, visit our website, WNPR.org. On tomorrow's show, The Nose explores the limits of narcissism. And now, back to Colin. I actually spent a whole afternoon with Art Fleming one time. <laughs> That's actually mm-hmm. true. We walked around to his appointments together. He's a very, he was not a mysterious guy, the way Alex is. All right, so <laughs> we're talking to, uh, to uh, Mike Pesca, uh, host of The Gist with Mike Pesca, uh, Arthur Chu, Jeopardy! champion and blogger, uh, Hillary Huttenhauer, um, also a Jeopardy! champion. In our thank yous, we should have also thanked uh, Lydia Brown, who tracked uh, Hillary. Hillary Huttenhauer was not easy to find, but Lydia Brown, <laughs> finder of lost persons, 
I think she found your she found a wedding registry or something and got your email or something. Literally she also right. called my parents in Pennsylvania, which <laughs> I was impressed by. Yeah. Lydia, Lydia Brown can find anybody. All right, so um, so Mike Pesca, I, I sort of set up this topic going into the uh, to, into the break. I mean, I think it is sort of fair to say that pre Ken Jennings. You know, I don't. I mean, I, I maybe I maybe I just didn't wasn't tuned into it, but I feel like I didn't really know the names of people who play Jeopardy. But one of the things that any sport ultimately needs, or any game ultimately needs, it does need stars and personalities and rivalries. Uh, I, I mean, how does that look to you through your uh, through the prism, the part of you that that does cover sports? Yeah, I think. Well, I think there was uh, Chuck Forrest, so he was the first breakout Jeopardy star, and it was because he got to come back in tournaments of champions and things like that. But then they changed the rule, and that was a big game changer. That was the smartest thing Jeopardy ever did to uh, propel it forward. That they they used to have a cap at five times, and then they said, "Hey, wait, we're not in the business of being fair and equitable. We're in the business of TV and creating stars." And so, yeah, people got to know um, Ken Jennings, and I think that not only was he great, he really does have a fun and lively personality and then arthur chu has a compelling personality if you want to think arthur chu wears the black hat go ahead i think people like me just wanted to see what crazy dollar value he was gonna (laughs) bet next and there was at least like there was the rorschach dynamic between art i think there was one between you and alex i really do i really think that it was like you know is 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 he? He's a disruptor. That's what's going on. He's the disruptor. He's the he's the E version. He's the 21st century Jeopardy contestant. And if he was capped at five games, you know, would that uh, dynamic have taken hold? Uh, I, I I'm I'm with you actually. I mean, I, I think kind of all of that's true. Well, you know, I mean, that sort of brings up another thing. You know, the, Jeopardy has so many conventions. You know, there are these all these little conventions, and so one of them is this little story time. You know, where you have to tell this quick little story. So uh, Arthur, I mean, did you feel? Un- I, I'm noticing this week that Elliot Yates is as good at story time I, as I think maybe anybody I've ever seen <laughs> on Jeopardy. I mean, he just owns story time. He's just waiting to tell his story. <laughs> Um, so, Arthur, how did that how did that whole thing feel for you? Is that a natural thing for you to come up with a little amusing, well, twelve amusing little tidbits about yourself? I mean, um, you know, I had always been of the opinion that everyone I met on the show hated doing those stories. Um, maybe Elliot is an exception. I haven't actually been watching the show lately. I make it sound like I should, but um, uh, you know, and that's tough because I would actually I was actually presenting myself. Hey, I've done public speaking. Hey, I've done you know improv comedy. But, oh my gosh, like the Jeopardy environment is just the the least conducive environment to being comfortable in front of the camera. So for if he's doing well at it, then, you know, more power to him. I noticed that actual, like, movie stars, like celebrities, look really awkward telling those stories on Celebrity Jeopardy, you know. Um, and it's just, it's how many stories can you think of that are true, that come from your own life, that are interesting to a national audience but not controversial but short enough that you can pack it into 30 seconds. And, you know, and, and, and simple enough that you can describe them on an index card so Alex won't screw it up when he looks at it because sometimes he does, you know, and then you get, you get that awkward situation. Um, and for me, I had like three or four, but when I had to come back like for 12 games, I ran out of stories yeah, really you fast. You just have to start making stuff up. Saying I was actually in the Chewbacca costume for one of the Star Wars movies. Um, Hillary, <laughs> how did that process go for you? I guess I didn't mind it so much. I, I've been fortunate enough that I've I've had some unique experiences. I mean, I, some of the ones he mentioned when I was on was, you know, training llamas, skydiving as a teenager, all this stuff. So I just figured I'd roll with it. I've done enough interesting things. Whatever he wanted to talk about, I was good to go. 
Um, yeah, Mike, what about you? Well, I, I mean, you're a natural storyteller. I assume that this was a, an easy part of it. No, it was the worst. It was a total flame out. I don't think I don't think Alex Alex got my uh, got my um, anecdote at all. And I do think that he's not very good at it. Like if you watch other shows, the host maybe sometimes they have a comedy background. They'll always come up with a funny clip. I don't know. It just seems much more awkward than it needs to be. But that's part of the whole thing. The, the awkwardness is part of it. It is absolutely, uh, in a very McLuhan-esque way, a part of it. All right, for, uh, we have to do a speed round here because we're kind of running out of time. So Alex is 74, um, and uh, Hillary, I'll sort of I'll start with you. Can, can you imagine a Jeopardy, a, a post-Trebek, a Trebekless uh, Jeopardy? I mean, uh, have you ever thought about that or what they could possibly do? I have thought about it, and yes, I can imagine it. Um, I don't have any good ideas of who. Like, I'm not going to sit here and suggest somebody else. But I think the game itself, the format itself, as you've said this whole time, it's it's so traditional, it's tried and true. I, I think they could find somebody else that would be the right person to carry it forward and uh, you know, move on with what's been built over the past 30-plus years. Arthur Chu, could it be you? <laughs> I wouldn't not. say no, no uh, because I think it's like a six-figure paycheck for each episode. But you know, I, I doubt it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a tough skill because you want someone who's got that like old-fashioned narration because so much is just reading. But then you also want someone who can banter, and those are two very different kinds of things, you know. Um, so I'd actually vote for Ken Jennings, but I don't know if they see that as a conflict of interest. But he's he's pretty good at both of those things, if you've seen the stuff he's done. Yeah, no, I, I think he's the natural answer uh, to, to that. Mike Pesca, as we're uh, heading down the last 60 seconds, to get ready for the today's show, one of the things I did was watch some clips from the original Rollerball in, uh, in which uh, John Hausman says to James Kahn, you know, no one's supposed to be bigger than the game. The game is supposed to il- illustrate the futility of individual uh, endeavors. But the truth is, one person is bigger than in the game, and that's Alex. I mean, I really do. I think this is going to be a even with Ken Jennings, it's going to be a difficult transition. I don't know, but we thought that same about like Kathy Lee, and then Kelly came on and was like, "Oh yeah, what the hell is so great about <laughs> Kathy Lee?" That's not the same. His name is Shelley Long. I think. Okay, I'm going to nominate a couple people. I think Pat Kiernan. He hosts New York One, but he's also hosted game shows before, like a VH1 um, culture game show. He'd be really good. Do you want to mix up the white male thing? You get Donald Glover. I think he's really talented. You know, the guy I don't even know who those people are, but we have to go in. Beyond Community. That would be, be awesome. All right. Oh, that guy. Okay. All right. We have to go. Thank you so much, Arthur Chu, Hillary Huttenhauer, Mike Pesca, host of the Gist with Mike Pesca. Check out that podcast. He is the host of a popular public radio show in Hartford, Connecticut. Oh, I know this one. Who is? Who? Really? Was it Sean Connery?